Blog Talk Radio. From the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here. Fun to be back on the air with you again. Um, we had our parents panel last week. This week, um, I will be answering all of the, well, as many as possible of the emails that piled up uh, over the summer. Um, and of course, you can always Email us with questions by going to the Lives in the Balance website and clicking on the contact form. That's a good way to do that, but you can also call in if you have questions or comments about anything that we're talking about. That number is 347-994-2981. If you want a reminder that the show is about to go on the air, um, I do that through Twitter. Pretty much the only thing I tweet about, but... Um, if you go to the radio program page on the Lives in the Balance website, there's a place where it says click here if you want to be reminded of the program going on the air, and uh, I'll do that as well. Uh, how's it going? How would this, how is the summer with your behaviorally challenging child? Um, how's the school year gotten off to? What kind of start has the school year gotten off to? Um, Being the parent of a behaviorally challenging child is certainly not the easiest thing in the world. Certainly made less easy by the fact that here in the year 2013, we still blame parents for the challenging behavior of their challenging kids. Despite the fact that the research tells us that it's lagging skills that are the primary factor contributing to challenging behavior and behaviorally challenging kids and despite the anecdotal observation that most parents of behaviorally challenging kids also have well-behaved kids same household kind of the same gene pool but that's what lives in the balance is for to help people know better we want people to know better who are behaviorally challenging kids? How do they get to be that way? And once we understand them well, what can we do differently in terms of how we parent them so that it, we don't make things worse and that we do make things better? We know better now, but that information has been slow to get out there. I do my best to get it out there, along with lots of the other folks who help out with Lives in the Balance. Those opportunities for helping out will be expanding greatly over the next several months. Um, we'll be helping you do all kinds of things in your community if you want to help us uh, spread the word about who behaviorally challenging kids are and how we can go about helping them in ways that are compassionate and humane and effective, and non-punitive, and non-adversarial, and collaborative, and proactive, and relationship-enhancing. I know that's a mouthful, 
But we don't include sticker charts in that. We don't include timeouts in that. We certainly don't include spanking in that, and we don't include paddling in that. Included are all the things that help behaviorally challenging kids learn the skills they're lacking, communicating about what's getting in their way, and forge healthy, collaborative relationships with their caregivers. Just in case I forget to mention, the Lives in the Balance annual conference is coming up in November, November 8th, always in Portland, Maine. Hope you can come. Details on the Lives in the Balance website, which, by the way, is about to undergo a dramatic transformation. Come back in two weeks, and it'll look completely different. We think it will be easier to navigate a little less overwhelming. Now it's time to start answering email. Are you ready? I apologize. This one was sent way back in June. And, um, well, of course, we're not in the air in June. We take June, July, and August off. So it's been a while since this one was sent, but here we go. I've read and listened to everything I can find on your website and wonder if you could direct me to information about Step 3 of Plan B. I get to the problem-solving step, and I don't know what to do. Uh, Here goes. Um, And you're right. Sometimes on this program we do give short shrift to what is known as the, well, let's see. There's the empathy step. That's first. There's the define the problem step. That's second. There's the invitation. That's third. You know what? Before I talk about the invitation, let me talk about the first two briefly. The empathy step is where you are gathering information from the child so as to understand his concern or perspective on the unsolved problem you're talking with him about, preferably proactively, right now. To define the problem, if you want to solve a problem with a kid, you're going to need information about what's getting in his way, about what his concern or perspective is, the person who can best give you that information is the child, your problem-solving partner, your problem-solving teammate. Um, Define the problem step. That's where you're getting your concern entered into consideration on the same unsolved problem that you're talking with the child about proactively you have concerns too. Those concerns have sometimes led you astray. Sometimes they've led you into plan A, where you are imposing a solution on the child unilaterally. Solutions arrived at with plan A are not only unilateral, they are also uninformed. Uninformed solutions don't work very well because they aren't informed by the information that we would have gotten from the child about what's getting in his way on the unsolved problem we're talking with him about. Also, unilateral solutions, plan A, tend to cause challenging behavior in challenging kids. That's because most of us don't love having will imposed upon us. When will is being imposed upon us, most of us have the skills to deal with it. Behaviorally challenging kids don't. And no, 
causing lots of meltdowns, lots of challenging episodes is not the best way to help your child acquire the skills he needs to handle imposition of adult will. You teach those skills by solving problems collaboratively. Don't worry. Um, On those rare occasions when the real world imposes unilateral solutions on your child, he'll have the skills to deal with it, but not, but not by you doing a lot of lot unilateral solutions in the first place and causing lots of challenging episodes, but by doing plan B to teach your child the skills he needs to handle the demands of the world. That's right. I find that kids who learn the skills they need in plan B do become better at handling plan A. Not that that's the primary goal. The primary goal is to help your child get good at solving problems collaboratively, solving problems together. Then you've got a problem-solving teammate, a problem-solving partner. But as a residual effect, I find that kids who learn how to solve problems collaboratively and acquire the skills that come along with participating in that process also tend to get better at handling those rare occasions when plan A does pop up. Which skill is demanded more by the real world? Handling unilateral solutions that are imposed on you or solving problems collaboratively? Well, it's solving problems collaboratively. But we've digressed, haven't we? You asked, our emailer asked about the third step of Plan B. That's the invitation. That's where child and adult are brainstorming solutions together, collaborating on solutions, but a highly specialized type of solution, a solution that meets two criteria. Number one, it needs to be realistic can't tell you how often I see adults signing off on solutions that they know they can't do or that they know the child can't do. Sometimes it's both. And those aren't realistic solutions. That's pie in the sky. That's wishful thinking solutions. And solving problems collaboratively is not an exercise in wishful thinking or pie in the sky. It's the hard work of coming up with solutions that both parties can actually do. It's also, and this is criteria number two, the hard work of coming up with solutions that truly and logically address the concerns of both parties. Concerns we got identified in those first two steps of Plan B. Um, A few things about that. While it's not tragic for you to go into the invitation step with some potential ideas about how the problem could be solved, if you had those ideas before you did Plan B, then those ideas were not informed by the concern or perspective of the child. They may have been informed by your concerns, but they certainly weren't Uh, informed by the child's concerns because you hadn't done the empathy step yet, so you don't know what the child's concerns are yet, which means that any solution you come up with before you do plan B 
is likely to be an uninformed solution, uninformed by the child's concerns. Now, once you've done the define the problem step and the empathy step, might you have some ideas? Sure, I certainly hope so. But you are going to give the kid the first crack at coming up with ideas because it lets him know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're actually interested in his ideas. And one thing you definitely don't want to do is do those first two steps of plan B and then tell the kid what the solution is. And by the way, you may be incredible at coming up with solutions. Incredible. But um, you want to give the kid first crack at the solution because it's good strategy. And any the best conceived solution in the world isn't going to fly if it doesn't fly with the person who is the intended beneficiary of that solution, the kid, your problem-solving partner. So it is very tempting to do those first two steps of plan B and then say to your problem-solving partner, the child, hey, here's what the solution is. Nope. Good for you to have some ideas, just in case he doesn't, by the way. Better for the child to have some ideas, by the way, because that's how he learns to start coming up with solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory. Of course, a lot of adults need practice at coming up with solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory. So everybody's getting practice at doing this when both child and adult are doing plan B. Now, the Invitation usually starts with the words, I wonder if there's a way. Now, generically, what are you wondering if there's a way to do? Generically, you're wondering if there's a way to solve the problem. And you could say that, but if you say that, a lot of kids are going to look at you and say, what problem? Better strategy is to say, I wonder if there's a way to, and then generically, address the concerns of party number one, but also address the concerns of party number two. But you wouldn't say it that way. You'd actually say what those concerns are. I wonder if there's a way for us to do... Well, this, is a, um, this is a problem in the Green household right now. My 13-year-old son likes... Um, um, deodorant that has an extremely strong smell. My wife is allergic or feels that she is allergic or just finds objectionable those deodorants. We'd have to get my son's concerns on the table. I know what he'd say because this plan B took place over the weekend. Um, he likes the smell of the deodorant, and he doesn't want to smell bad. My wife's concern is that she wants to make sure that she doesn't have an allergic reaction to his choice of deodorant. They're going to go to the store together and try to pick out a deodorant that works for both of them. Here's what the invitation would sound like, though. I wonder if there's a way for us to make sure that you don't smell bad and that you use a deodorant that smells good to you 
but one that won't cause me to have an allergic reaction. You got any ideas? Once again, you're giving the kid the first crack at the solution because it's not your job as the caregiver to come up with the solution. What a, what a breath of fresh air that is. So many caregivers feel like they're the one who has to come up with the solution. Pressure's off. You and your problem-solving teammate are the ones who have to come up with a solution together. That's a breath of fresh air for many adults, but it's also a big adjustment for many adults because they're accustomed to coming up with the solution, and the solutions that they come up with tend to be tend to be unilateral. Now they're collaborative, and by giving the kid the first crack at the solution, you're helping him learn how to solve problems and come up with solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory. Even if you're great at it already, we want your kid to get good at it too. I hope that um, that's good coverage of the invitation for you. If not, email back and with any other questions. You know, I don't know if I gave the call-in number. It's 347-994-2981. If we don't get any callers, I'm just going to answer emails today. Let me just... Um, by the way, what we do on this program is if I answer your email, you will hear from our um, wonderful um, coordinator of the radio programs, Lindsay, who is going to let you know that your email has been answered. We finally got that organized. Here's another one. This is a bit of a sad one. Uh, My son is now over 21 years old. I came across your website as part of a teacher development workshop, and I started crying because it all makes so much sense, and I feel like I've wasted 16 years. When he was five years old, I said to the pediatrician that my son was a good kid who still had terrible temper tantrums. I had had no trouble with his older sisters, and I didn't know what to do for him. Much time spent with therapists, multiple diagnoses, time in mental health facilities, and many medications later. Nothing has really helped fully, although he no longer has temper tantrums. He just shuts down and withdraws when things get overwhelming. He has never wanted to participate in his treatments and never cooperated with therapy. Obviously, we should have been using collaborative and proactive solutions from the start. Is it too late to teach him the lagging skills? Are there any caveats for working with an older child slash adult? Um, Well, first to the early part of your email. The the key line is you didn't know what to do for him. And now you feel like you've wasted 16 years. But as I always say, I hope you're not beating yourself up for that. I mean, it's certainly, I can certainly understand you feeling bad about it. But you can't beat yourself up for not knowing what you didn't know. And you had lots of people trying to help. But a lot of the treatments that go on out there are not related to 
this model. Boy, are there a lot of treatments out there, and some of them are actually pretty good. But some of them aren't. And even the best treatment doesn't work very well if it's not very well matched to what a kid and a family and the caregivers need. So I hope you're not beating yourself up because you didn't know what you didn't know. But I'm glad you now know. True, it would have been better if you'd have known it 16 years ago, but here we are now. Big question is how to communicate to your son that you've come across some new info that you wish you and he had known about 16 years ago because it could have saved you both a lot of misery and time and is he interested in knowing about it? I don't know if he'll say yes, but maybe he'll say what? If you say, will you read a book? Maybe he'll read The Explosive Child. Um, if you can't afford to buy The Explosive Child, let us know here at Lives in the Balance. We'll make sure you get one. Maybe he'll, if he's a listener, maybe he'll listen to one of the programs in the, uh, well, like this. Maybe he'll listen to a radio program. They're all archived in the listening library on the Lives in the Balance website. Maybe. I wonder if an empathic statement about all the treatments he's been through how none of them seem to work very well. How bad you feel about that. Often empathy, rather than plunging forward with the agenda of having him access this information, empathy might open things up a little bit and help him be a little bit more receptive to learning about this. As the expression goes, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. I'm noticing that the subject of your email is, is it too late? Never too late, just a lot harder when a kid is older because now his future is largely in his hands. I hope. I wish you the best. Here's another email. Dr. Green, I've been working my way through your website, and it's giving me a lot of hope. I have a question, though. When we try to drill for information in the empathy step of Plan B, the answer we routinely get is that the problem lies with someone else, his brother, another kid at school, his teacher, etc. He doesn't see the problem as his own. Do you have any feedback or advice? Have you covered this before? I, um, I tell you the truth. I've done so many of these programs that I don't know if I've covered that before, but I, well, doesn't matter. We're covering it now. Although I'm betting we have. It's just that there's so many radio programs to sort through that why don't we just cover it now? 
Um, I don't know if he has to see the problem as his own. I don't think that's the goal of the empathy step. So, And I, I don't think you're saying this in your email, but I don't think the goal is to get him to say, this is my problem. I don't care if a kid says it's his problem or not. First of all, it's not his problem. It takes two to tango. So it's his problem, it's the person he's having the problem with, it's their problem too. So the goal is not to get him to say, yeah, I own this. Not the goal. And by the way, he's taking responsibility, if that's the concern, if he's trying to solve the problem so it doesn't set in motion challenging episodes anymore. That's my definition of taking responsibility. If a kid is working together, collaborating on solving a problem, so that problem doesn't set in motion a challenging episode anymore, he's taking responsibility and he's being held accountable. No one ever said that taking responsibility and being held accountable had to be accomplished through punishment. I think there's a lot of downsides to punishment that, quite frankly, would actually contribute to a kid not wanting to talk about a problem, not wanting to see his role in it. And I think that's actually the gist of your email. He's not seeing his role, but I think the way we're going to deal with that is just to drill further. So if a child says, um, let's say we said, uh, I noticed that you're having difficulty during the box ball game. I've noticed that you're having difficulty agreeing on the rules during the box ball game at school. If he says, yeah, well, that's because Robbie's a cheater, um, I would drill. What's Robbie doing that's cheating? He makes up the rules as he goes along, whatever will help him win. More uh, drilling, and I'll just do reflective listening here. He makes up the rules during the game. Help me understand what rules he makes up. Well, sometimes he says it's on the line when it's really out, but he only thinks it's on the line when it's really out if it keeps him in the game. Oh, so Robbie says it's on the line instead of out when it keeps him in the game. What does he do if it's somebody else? He says it's out. Got it. And then then what happens next? What? How is that a problem for you? Well, I just don't think it's fair that he always makes the call that keeps him in the game and always makes the call that has somebody else be out. More drilling. Help me understand this a little better. How how did Robbie be it sounds like Robbie's the one making the calls during the box ball game. What what's going on with that? Well, you don't want Robbie to be mad at you cuz you want Robbie to be your friend, and if Robbie decides he wants to be the one who makes the line calls in the box ball game, well, since everybody wants to be Robbie's friend, nobody's going to argue with him. Wow. We're getting a lot of information here about what's going on during the box ball game. At some point, we're still in the empathy step. This could last a while. At some point during the empathy step, you might get around to 
the following. All right, so now I understand this. Robbie, it looks sounds like Robbie somehow became the person who calls the line calls during the box ball game. And it sounds like not everybody's happy about that, especially you, but everybody's a little bit worried about what would happen if they said something about it. Do I have that straight? Yep. Tell me, is there anything that I should know about what you're doing during the box ball game that's making that difficult as well? Now we're talking about him. Now he might say, no, it's just Robbie. I might say, so there's nothing else that's going on during the box ball game that you might be doing to make this a little difficult? I don't know what he's going to say, but I do know that by hearing about what he, his first stab at what's getting in the way, you set the stage for the second stab, and kids are more open to talking about their role in the school play once we've heard their con- initial concern or perspective. That's what it would sound like, but it's not that we want him to... Now, your email said he's doing that on everything. I think that if we are drilling well and getting enough details, um, we might get some hints that he's playing a role in this as well. After all, it takes two to tango. And that he might give us something that we can inquire about there as well. Anyways, that's my usual experience with that. Got to hear his point of view first. Often his point of view makes him a little bit more open to talking about his potential role as well. Keep me posted on how that goes. By the way, these are all from the summer. All the ones we're reading today are from the summer. So we're making up for lost time here. Here's another. Dr. Green, I'm curious. We have a 10-year-old who from day one has never been able to self-soothe. Only two nights in his life have he, has he ever slept through the night on his own. Poor thing. And I'm referring to both of you here. He had gastrointestinal reflux disorder when an infant, so the first year of life, sleep was spent in shifts in mom and dad's arms through the nights. Then he was never then we were never able to let him cry it out to self soothe as a baby and toddler. He still needed skin contact, a nap, sleep, even if it was just at the beginning of napping and sleeping. Now, ten years later, he is going to bed in his room with mom beside him, mom then getting up sometime after son has been asleep for a while, and then son, usually about midnight, changing beds to be with mom and dad, usually mom. I don't understand the next sentence, but we'll keep going. Sometimes he will awaken earlier, and this cups into mom-dad time from, say, 8 p.m. on. A therapist who even suggested your method and website has only told us how to do plan A. 
tough love, lock the door, let him cry, etc., to learn to sleep alone. I just cannot cut him off like that. Good for you. Because of health reasons or love, we have unfortunately trained him in this way. Well, it sounds like there were some early health reasons, but sometimes that's a hard thing to reverse. We are talking with him and trying to come up with a more collaborative way of dealing with this, though I am made to feel guilty, even by the therapist, that this has to change. He is diagnosed with Asperger's disorder, mood disorder, anxiety, ADHD. What are your thoughts on this, and have I adequately described the situation? I think so, sort of. I'll do my best. I know what would happen if I do plan A on this, damage to self, others, or property, imposing our will even though we are his parents, and we do not give in on all things, I do not believe will work. I believe we have to build his confidence in himself with a mutual solution that if he could, he would. Thanks for emailing. And uh, naturally, my response is specific to the use of Plan B on this unsolved problem. There's clearly lots to know about your son, and I don't know lots enough about your son to give an educated response across the board, but I can tell you that, well, I'm a Plan B guy. Um, but here's the thing. You might want to call in. You might want to call in um, because, well, it would be good to talk with you about this over the phone, mostly because I would like to hear what you've, how those Plan B discussions have already gone. I mean, I know what the introduction to the empathy step would sound like. I've noticed that you're having difficulty falling asleep. Truth is, I would split this into two unsolved problems. That's first of all. Falling asleep without mom laying next to him. Uh, difficulty falling asleep without mom, without mom laying next to him. Difficulty sleeping through the night in his own room. Those are the two. I'd split it. I've talked on this program about splitting and clumping. I'd split that. And by the way, caller from area code 508, as soon as I'm through answering this email, we'll come right to you and probably finish off the program with it. So I know what the introduction to the empathy step would sound like. You just have to pick which one you're talking with him about, and you'll ask him what's up. And now comes the part where I can take you no further. Um, I don't know what he's going to say. And therefore, and I don't know what you've said in the define the problem step, and since I don't know either of those two, I can't tell you what the beginning of the invitation is going to sound like where you say, I wonder if there is a way for us to ba 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 whatever his concern is, but also ba 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 whatever your concern is. I could use my imagination on your concern, but you've already said some stuff in your email about sounds like you wouldn't mind having some mom-dad time. I suspect, but I don't like guessing. It's poor role modeling. I don't like guessing. I'd want to hear it from you. I'd want to hear what your son 
has told you about what's still hard for him, then I might be able to help you a little bit further than I'm able to help you today. Feel free to call into the program. So you'll be hearing from Lindsay that I answered your email on the air, but I guess I didn't really answer it today. Feel free to call in. We keep things anonymous on this program. The only thing listeners will know about you is your area code. Speaking of which, area code 508, you're on the air. How are you today? Um, hi, Dr. Green. I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. When you're talking, just don't give us any identifying information, no names, etc. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So, well, um, I'm a huge fan of of um, of your methods, and it's been a, a really huge help for my husband and I with our um, our little guy who's um, nine now. So the last couple of years of seeing him differently, like your lens and that if he could do well, he will. Um, he just still needs help building his skills. And in little, little steps, we've had a lot of success in terms of um, for him, like getting through certain transitions. Um, he's reduced a lot of crying. We've had talks of the collaborative talks where He's very open and willing, and he he will actually calm down when we use, like, a soft, quiet voice, like, I see you're really upset, and would you like to talk about it? And it's okay. Give him some time to kind of pull himself together. Um, lately, can I, can I ask a, maybe a little advice um, for when it's here at home, things seem to go very well, and he's, He's really come a long way um, with his behavior at home. But I still feel like, oh, he's at school, and he still will have trouble at school in terms of his behavior. He's got a pretty big case of ADD um, with his, with his um, focus and attention, and his behavior it tends to be... Um, He's not super self-aware, like he'll just get upset and then he'll start crying and then his classmates notices and his teachers get upset. Um, and I try to talk to him at home. I'll get a note that says, you know, Luca, oh, please excuse me the name. Um, your son didn't get started on a task. He was given so many prompts and he didn't earn his stars or whatever. And, and he'll be really upset at the, at the end of the day. And... I guess I'm having trouble uh, resisting offering him solutions because I guess I feel like he needs to find, we need to come to those solutions collaboratively, but mm -hmm. I'm still not sure how to dig enough when it's, you know, I'm not there at school, so I'm not really seeing everything. And that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I don't, I don't know... If I'm doing it right with a problem that's at school. Got it. Yeah. So, okay. two points. Ready? Okay. And once again, since I don't know your son and haven't done a complete evaluation, all I can do is give you advice on the use of the model. Yeah. But two yeah. things I'm Go hearing. Okay. One thing I'm hearing is that um, some of the plan B you're doing is being done in the heat of the moment. 
while we're trying to help him calm down. Mm-hmm. And that's actually not ideal timing. Yeah. Because he's already upset. He's already upset, so, yeah. Correct. So if so, the ideal time to do plan B is, and this is why the new name of my model is Collaborative and Proactive Solutions, it makes it crystal clear that the vast majority of problem solving should be done proactively. Mm-hmm. It also tells you that the primary activity of the model, the primary ingredient, is problem solving. The skills training actually tends to be more indirect most of the time. Okay. A lot of the skills children are lacking are taught indirectly just by engaging them in the process of solving problems okay. collaboratively and proactively. So, um, yes, I'm sure he still has skills that need to be taught, but it, all, it especially sounds to me like there are still many problems that need to be solved. And so... Um, one of the things it sounds like is definitely needed, and once again, I'm not asking you anything about whether his inattention, hyperactivity, poor impulse control is, whether you're using medication to address that, whether those things are under good control. I'm getting at least a hint that they may not be under ideal control or they're as good as you're going to get them and this is the best we can do. I don't know all of those things. So there's many more things that I would want to know to help you optimally if I was working with you individually, but don't know yep. those things. Yep. Um, but it sounds to me like it sure would be good if you, had a, if you made a list of unsolved problems, the problems okay. that are reliably and predictably setting in motion his challenging episodes. And it sure would be good if they had the same thing at school, because that yeah. would set the stage for them to be focused, them and you, if you're not already, to be focused on, number one, solving problems, number two, to know what those problems are, and number three, to be doing it almost exclusively, proactively, rather than when what is likely to be a highly predictable unsolved problem pops up yet again. Okay. So do you think... um well, and and I have, and I really, I do really agree with that because he is, um, he is m- much more open, and we've had some really good success here at home when we've come back to things like uh, after we've all settled down and everyone's had ice cream or something, and and life is kind of mellow, and I'll sort of say, you know, hey, can we talk about that, you know, time when you got all upset, and and then he'll be really good about. It. We've had some really good moments. With that, and I know that is huge. The the waiting for a calm time, and then sort of talking about it in case it ever happens again, or why do you Correct. think that happened? I really like your sentence. Um, um, so what? Like, so what's going on with that? You know, what what's um, and he he'll respond really well to that. So I guess my so I'm going to really work on that, like for myself, that I try not to do it while he's still upset. Um, I think that I worry that I I tend to try to offer him my ideas of solutions. And even though he'll be sweet and he'll say, I'll try that, Mom, and then I walk away going, oh, geez, I think I just gave him my idea of what will help him, but I don't know if he'll really be able to access that because that's not really 
his solution. It doesn't and I, have to be his, per se. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm only interrupting because we only have about mm, 30 not seconds left time. in the program. Okay. But you are okay. welcome to call back for the next program. Um, okay. Not tragic for you to have some ideas of solutions. Okay, but so, all right. even better to uh-huh. see if he has any. Yeah. Because, um, well, that's a skill that we'd like him to be able to develop. And yes. you actually don't want to leave the invitation until you and he have actually given some thought to whether this is a solution that's realistic and mutually satisfactory, as I said at the very beginning of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what you're going to do with the folks at school is a completely different animal, so I do hope that you will call back next week because we are out of time for today. Okay. I will, actually. We can have an entirely have... different discussion about what's going on at school, so I hope you'll call okay. in. I will call Take in. Care. And they do. they are beginning to... Um be interested in your program so that's that is a helpful perfect call in next week take care